Where we see scarcity, God sees more than enough. Hey, this is Kelvin, and welcome to another message from Elevate Retake. I am excited to be the new host of Elevate Retake, and that's probably why you've never heard my voice before, but I am super excited to dive into this Bible journey with you. Today on the podcast, we've got the latest message entitled, That Will Do. It's a part two of a series on the life of Elisha. Pastor Michael will be diving into 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7 in this message. And a question we'd like for you to ponder as you listen is, what do you have in your house? Here's Pastor Michael. This fall, is it fall yet? It's still hot, right? Kind of, we're not maybe in the seasons, but school started. And uh, we are looking at radical faith. What does it mean to live life in the double portion? And Kike asked the question a moment ago, what do you have in your house? Kind of a random question, right? But this question today comes directly from Scripture. Sometimes I'm kind of having to figure out, okay, what angle are we taking on this? I love it when Scripture provides the engaged question for me because it's just, it's right there. It's easy, low-hanging fruit. And to begin thinking about that today, I want to share a little story with you. Uh, A few years ago, when my wife and I were just newly married, we moved up to uh, Andrews University. We're living in Michigan. And as a new married couple, you know, we wanted to have some friends and wanted to have some people over. And we invited a couple friend over. And there's nothing like being newly married and figuring out what your space looks like and then inviting some other people into that space and then thinking that you have to cook and provide food for them that will taste decent and not make them sick, right? So we're nervous and, and, and all that, and the, the, the evening goes well. We have a fantastic time. And something that had become a, a part of what we did from the very uh, first moments of our marriage is that we would, we would make some jello. Anybody make jello? Anybody still do that? No? Okay. We, we've gotten a little bit out of habit about it, but sometimes people would just stop in and, uh, or we'd have people over and it's like, what do you have for dessert? Well, d- jello would be a good thing. So we started to make a little bit of jello here, a little bit of jello there, and it seemed that every time we made a little bit of jello, somebody would come over to partake of it. That's what we had in the cupboard. It was cheap, something that is easy to put together, a little whipped cream on top, and mmm, tastes so good. What do you have in your house? What do you have that you might share with others? What do you have that you can put on the table to provide for someone else? We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4 today. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. Here's a little bit of context as you're turning to 2 Kings chapter 4. In uh, the essence of time and trying to figure out this sermon series with some other stuff that we want to do later in the fall, we're only spending six weeks on the life of Elisha. And if you, as a Bible scholar, have ever read about Elisha, know that there's a lot more that happens in his life than we can cover in in six weeks in a a series on his life. So we've had to skip the entirety of chapter 3. But here's a little bit of what's going on. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, Israel and, and Judah, and they've banded together because there's another group that's trying to invade and take over, and they're not sure what to do. They go to the prophet Elisha, and they say, hey, this is happening. And Elisha says, go grab some shovels, go dig some trenches in this valley, and the Lord will provide rain. They're like, we're going into battle. That's where you take spears and swords and armor, and you're asking us to take shovels and dig some trenches? Elisha says, yeah, that's what I'm asking you to do. So they go and do it. 
They wake up the next morning, and the army that had come to invade came over that valley, and with the early morning rising sun, the valley looked as if it was covered in blood. And the invading army turned on their heels and ran headlong because they had thought that there had already been a slaughter and that the Israelites were waiting for them. God had provided in an incredible, amazing, miraculous way. And Elisha goes from house to house, from place to place, sharing the double portion blessing that he received. Not only did that story occur, he also healed waters in a particular town that made them beneficial to drink. And then there's also this kind of enigmatic story tucked in the middle about these young boys who make fun of Elisha and because he's bald, he's losing some hair, whether it was shaved or, or losing it. And two mama bears come out of the woods at Elisha's beckoning and kill 42 young lads, the Bible describes them as. What a fantastic story to preach from. And lesson, think about the lessons we could learn from that one, right? We left that one aside for this series. Much of Elisha's life is going from place to place, sharing the blessings and the goodness of God. And we pick up the story in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. Put it on the screen for you. Coming from the New Living Translation, whatever you've got in front of you is just A-OK. One day, the widow of a member of the group of the prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. During this time, part of the role of the prophets was to raise up these prophet schools. They called them the schools of the prophets. And there was different groups of people that would come to these educational centers so that their young men could study, learn, and grow. It was really the the kind of OG version of Adventist education. That you set up these, these towns and these schools in these towns. And people come from far and wide to a particular place to learn about Jesus within the educational setting. And I don't know, maybe they called their their schools the the Exodus Trail Academy or Canaan Israelite Elementary School or Southwestern Israelite University. I don't know, maybe something like that. Uh, But this this woman is connected. Her, Her husband was a member and a part of the prophets that would go to those schools. And she comes to Elijah with a problem. She says, you know my husband, how he served you, and you know how he feared the Lord. The first point that we could maybe ponder this morning as she's in the midst of her dilemma is that if you died today, could your spouse say as much about you? That in their time of need that they have passed away, you come to the prophet and say, you know how much my spouse served the Lord and how much we need his help today. This woman is in a life-threatening situation. And this isn't just, hi, We're calling to try to reach you. We've been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty. Or uh, this is the IRS, and if you don't pay us money now, we're going to put you in jail. No, 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 none of this. There are creditors who are after her kids' lives. People would borrow money, and they would find themselves sometimes in very dire financial situations. And the way to recompense it, and it's according to the law of Moses, that a family could indenture themselves to someone else to pay a debt. And these creditors had come knocking. And the last thing this woman has are her two sons. She's distraught. What am I going to do, Elisha? Can't you do something because you know that my husband, now dead, served you and served the Lord. Ball is in your court. 
So Elisha, being the compassionate and empathetic, caring person that he is, turns to the woman in verse 2 of 2 Kings chapter 4 and asks this question. What can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? And this woman replied, nothing at all except a flask of olive oil. Think about that dire situation. The prophet of God saying, what can I do for you? And it's easy to maybe pick this out and be like, well, uh, Elisha, like you're a, a man of God. You, like, you should know what to do to help. But he engages her in the same way that someone walks into a, a restaurant or an establishment and the, the server, the greeter says, hi, how may I help you? How can I be of assistance to you today? It's the same tenor that Elisha comes to this woman. What can I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house. See, sometimes the beginning of our miracles start with what we already have. The maybe, just maybe, there's something that is within our possession that can be the catalyst for God pouring out his spirit in our lives. Elisha does not ask for quantity. He does not say, how much do you have in your house? Where, what's this, that, and the other thing? He says, no, what do you have? And her simple response, nothing at all. And it is, isn't it interesting in our mind when we, when we think and talk about nothing, right? We always, often, always often, we sometimes, maybe, I don't know, sometimes we'll use something to describe nothing, right? When you really have nothing, you've got to use something to describe the utter nothingness that you are experiencing, Right? When someone asks, like, hey, do you have some change? You pull out your pocket and show them your lint, right? I've got nothing. Maybe you're hungry, and I've got nothing in my dorm room except for one pack of ramen and two Taco Bell hot sauce packets. I've got nothing. And your friend's like, oh, I feel you. I get it. I get it. Even though you might have a little something, it feels like nothing. But here's the thing. God does amazing things with nothing. Remember creation? Genesis chapter 1. It says the earth was formless and without void, and God created the heavens and the earth. And the Hebrew word used there to create is not this essence of he went to Home Depot or Lowe's or other unnamed uh, home improvement store, bought the supplies and the materials at the crazy rates that wood, wood is going for right now came and made something. No, that word means that he created something out of nothing. He took the nothingness and created something. And here's the thing about God's economy. It's not a matter of how much you have, but what you do with what you have. Because Elisha asked the woman the question, what do you have? No qualifiers, no quantities, nothing else. What do you have and are you willing to place it in the care of God? And there's a pause in between these two verses. The story kind of continues on. But imagine that moment as Elisha has asked this woman the question. She says, I've got nothing. Got a little, little tiny pot of oil. That's all I've got left. And imagine a small smile crinkling on the corner of Elisha's lips. And he says, that will do. That will do. That's enough. 
here are some instructions for you. And he gives her some instructions in verses three and four. Puts it this way. Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons, shut the door behind you, pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it's filled. Simple instructions, right? Go find some jars Take the little oil that you have and pour it out into those jars. She was to follow in obedience of the instructions of the prophet. And this scene is amazing because so far the miracles that Elisha has performed have been public. People have been seeing what's been happening. They can see the miracles of God that Elisha has been been working. But now in this moment, Elisha says, this one needs to be kept quiet. Because the glory of God needs to shine through, not only in public spaces, but in private spaces as well. The expositor's commentary puts it this way on page 183 of volume 4. The fact that she herself was to act in faith would enlarge her faith. The fact that Elisha would not be there when the miracle took place would display the power of God alone and thus encourage her to still greater faith. We're talking this series about a radical faith, a faith that trusts unequivocally in the goodness and the provision of God. And what a test of faith for her to allow the prophet to leave and her sons to go collect the pots and to enter into that quiet room and shut the door and to pour out the oil. She follows the instructions in verse five. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing her jars to her and she filled one after another. Now imagine this, this moment for a little bit. There's a lot kind of going on in play, and the Bible's very brief on it, but we've got to resonate with what's going on in the story. Elijah has given her instructions that they're to go and borrow jars, bring them back, and to be filled with oil. So imagine the mom sits her sons down and says, boys, this is what we're going to do. You're going to take your little red wagon, you're going to go through the town, and you're going to collect empty jars. They're like, what? Why? She's like, just trust me. Just trust me. So the boys go out. And maybe you were a pathfinder growing up or you did in-gathering when you were younger and you remember you had to go door to door throughout the neighborhood. For me, when I was, when I was younger, we did uh, canned food drives and we go throughout neighborhoods and you have to knock on the doors and ask people for food. And it's a simple thing, right? When you're younger, you know, you're all excited about it. You're all decked up in your class A uniform. You got everything going on. You got your friends with you. And then you walk up to the door and people are like, who's going who's gonna to knock? Who's going to knock? You going to knock? You going to knock? You? Maybe you? No? And somebody's like, finally, like, I'll do it. And, and, you, and you reach up to the, the, the doorbell. <laughs> you press it a little bit with your hands shaking. And then you step back and you hope and pray that nobody answers the door. Right? And then they answer, and you say, oh, no, why, please? Um, hi, my, my name is Michael. I'm from the, the, the Pathfinder Club at the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and we're collecting canned foods for those who, who need them. Oh, how wonderful. Let me go grab some from my, my pantry and bring them to you. And you, you hold out the little bag to them. You're still kind of shaking a little bit with that smile plastered on your face. And they, they put the cans in there, and you say, thank you, thank you so much. And then you walk down, and you just, oh, okay, that was rough. I think I'm good, guys. I got one house down. You guys can take care of the rest. But imagine those boys. As This isn't even like a canned food drive for those who need it. This is just like, hey, can I come? Uh, you have a cupboard of water bottles that you got from this event and from that event and that you don't use. Uh, could I have a few of those? Could we, could we borrow them? Oh, what are they for? Uh, 
it's hard to explain. And going from house to house, you guys have those cupboards, right? We've got one that's kind of tucked behind the dishwasher that all the water bottles and different uh, liquid containers get kind of put back because you've got the one that you normally carry. They go around getting bottle after bottle after bottle. And they come back, it's clanking through the town, and you know, you kind of, if your mom ever sent you on an errand that you're a little embarrassed about, you're just kind of like, hopefully nobody sees me, and we're just going to kind of go and do our thing. And they get back to the house and they begin unloading these jars, these little clay pots. And mom brings them close. They're in this room. It's tight. Maybe there's a, a, there probably wasn't even a candle because they got this much oil left. Maybe a little light streaming in from outside. And she takes that little flask of oil that barely had enough for an anointing, maybe a little bit for cooking. And she trusts in the instructions of the prophet and in a God who provides. And she asks her son to bring that jar and she begins to pour. And oil comes out. She's expecting it to maybe dribble a little bit and then run out, but it keeps coming. And keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. And finally she says, I need another jar. I need another jar. I need another jar. And they, she's holding it there as it's being poured out. She moves the one aside and one of the sons skillfully places the next empty jar underneath. And this process happens over and over and over again. See, this oil that's the central character of this story has significance even to us today. For this woman, it represented sustenance. And we'll get to the part where God provides for them incredibly. But we have to linger for a moment on the symbolism of olive oil in Scripture. Olive oil is used for healing. You would put it on wounds to help them heal. Put it on eyes to help them heal. You would anoint kings and prophets with oil. It's a vision of David as a young boy. Prophet Samuel comes to him and dumps a cruise of olive oil over his head and it flows all over his body as he's anointed for a particular purpose in life. And that symbolism runs deeper as Jesus connects oil to the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit is poured out over our lives in an anointing. And imagine in that woman's eye as the oil as being poured out from so little comes so much. And I'd offer to you today that a little Holy Spirit is better than a lot of plans. A little Holy Spirit is more than enough. Because we can look at the little bit of the Holy Spirit, we can look at that little flask of oil and think that God's not like, really? Like God, that's all you're, like this is all we have left. Just a little bit, of, like maybe just a little bit, but a little bit of the Holy Spirit goes an incredible long ways. Because God's economy is not focused on scarcity, on the nothing that we have, but on the something, that little tiny something that in our nothingness he can use to expand the kingdom of God. It happened to Moses as he's approaching the burning bush and he's taking off his sandals and God is unpacking for him the, the mission and the promise for the children of Israel. And Moses says, are you, you really want me you know I don't speak publicly. I have a stammer and a stutter. There's no way that I can go before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. God, you know that's going to be a horrible mistake. And God says, what you have will do. I'm going to use you where you are right there. 
The prophet Jeremiah, as he's wrestling through his calling, says, I'm too young. No way. Timothy, the same issue. No way. God says, your age, that will do. I'll work with that. Gideon, the famed warrior in the judges who takes 300 men and defeats an enemy army. When God first calls him, he says, do you know my pedigree? Like, do you know where I came from? If you knew where I came from, there, there's, we wouldn't even be having this conversation right now. And so God says, that'll do. That'll do. Then there's the story in John chapter 6, the disciples and Jesus. Jesus has just finished teaching this large group of people. And he turns to his disciples and says, hey, you guys got some food? Feed the, the 5,000? They're like, really? <laughs> there's, there's a lot of people here, Jesus. And he's like, yeah. One of them comes to Jesus and says, you know, if, if, even if we had uh, some, a, a year's worth of wages, there's no way that we could even provide a bite for everybody. But then Andrew comes and says, well, we've got five loaves and, and two fish. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, that will do. It's enough. Because we can look at our five loaves and fish, we can look at our little flask of oil and think how scarce our resources are. But God says, no, 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 no. From that small little flask of oil, from the five loaves and the two fish, come an abundance that you're not even ready for. And Jesus blessed those loaves and those fish, and he began to break it. And the disciples were going between Jesus and the people, Jesus and the people, sharing the goodness and the blessings of God. And they had so much left over that it took 12 baskets to hold it all. And imagine Jesus with a kind of smile on his face. It's one of those, like, I told you so smiles, but not like in a, I told you so. It was kind and compassionate. He says, that'll do. That'll work. Where we see scarcity, God sees more than enough. That will do. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather side with what God sees than what I might be blinded to. There is an abundance in enough. Because remember, there's always room for one more. And it's a temptation for us in our community to look at maybe the, the things that we scrap together to be able to provide a little bit of food, to, to have church elevate the, our, our schools. What do we really have, right? Small university, small town, USA, scraping a couple things together might even inspect our own lives and ask, like, what do we have in our homes? They're like, yeah, I resonate with that one pack of ramen and a, a couple of things of Taco Bell sauce. I get it. What could we possibly bring to the table as a community? What do we have to offer? God is not concerned with how much we have, but with what we do with what we have. For the woman... It was enough to trust in the prophet and to begin to pour out that oil and say, I, I hope and pray that this works. And for our community here, and get this, this is probably the closest that you'll get to hearing me preach a sermon about giving, okay? Stewardship, tithing, all of that. You've probably heard those sermons before and be like, when can lunch come sooner, please? But here's the thing in your own life. You, giving is so much more than just the dollars that come into your bank account or the dollars that don't come into your bank account, okay? Let's be real. Giving is a lifestyle, not just a thing that we do. And when you bring your enough, when you bring your little bit, your nothing, your something to the table, God says, that will do, and I'm going to bless that. 
And imagine a community where we're all bringing to the table our little flask of oil. And God says, that's enough. Begin to pour it out. Begin to pour it out because I have a wealth of resources that when you ask, you will receive that little bit of Holy Spirit that you feel now. As you begin to pour that out into other people, there will be enough. Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, pages 866 and 867, put it this way, volume two. God uses what we have. He's not limited in his resources or his powers and could easily have supplied the woman's need without her pot of oil. Done, taken care of. But he took what she had and placed his blessing upon it. So it is with God's servants today. They may not have much in natural ability or material resources, but if they devote what they have to God and his service, asking for his blessing, the little they have is increased manyfold. That's the God that we serve. That's the one who we come and worship week in and week out. And God is not finished with this woman. The story continues in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. They said, Mom, there aren't any more. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. God had provided for their knees. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, now sell the olive oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on what is left over. Implied in this text is that God provided needs for them so that she would not have to send her sons into slavery, have the creditors take them away, but that they could sell, pay the debt, and have enough to live. That's hard to see sometimes though when we're just looking at the little flask of oil. We're looking at that bottom line that says whether we can come to Southwestern and enroll in school or not. We're looking at, are we gonna be able to make ends meet this month? Am I gonna have enough emotional ability inside of me to handle this relationship? But when we bring that little to God, God says, I'm gonna bless that. I'm gonna pour out my spirit on that so that you can then be a blessing to others and have every single thing you need. Because here's the thing. The economy of God and this scarcity versus abundance, the economy of God is not transactional, it's transformational. Because we can come expecting, here's my little thing, I maybe get a little bit out of it, and God says, no, I multiply, I don't just do addition. I'm not here to transact with you to say, if you do this little thing, then blessings will come upon. I'm just asking you to bring the little that you have so that I can do something with it so that my name can receive glory. So the invitation for you today, the question that we began with just a few moments ago, what do you have in your house? What is your little flask of oil? I invite you to think about that today and think about how you can bring that to the table. Bring that before God and say, here's the little bit that I have, but I'm asking for you to do the same thing for me that you did for that widow long ago. That as you pour into me, I might pour out to others. God's looking to transform us, transform you, transform me, and transform this community. And when we come with that mindset of abundance that God is going to do the thing that he promised to do, transformation will happen, guaranteed. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. We come with burdens, some of us a lot, some of us a little. 
And a lot of us feel like we've got nothing left, just one small ounce of oil. God, I pray today that you'll take that and pour out an abundance in the lives of those who have it that is uncomparable, incomparable to what has happened before. God, I pray for this community as we bring our resources together and further your kingdom, that you would pour out your spirit in this place so much more than you have done before. But God, it's not so much about quantity as it about quality. And we know that even just a little bit of the Holy Spirit is enough for our needs. So God, as we step forward in faith and begin to pour, we're gonna look to you to provide the outcome. We're gonna look for that blessing, God. We leave our lives in your hands. We look forward to seeing you soon. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Elevate Retake. Make sure to stay tuned for the Retake conversation dropping in your feed on Friday this week. We hope you join us for an engaging conversation where we take the message and open it up and unpack it even more. You can find us on Instagram at Elevate Retake, and we'd love for you to leave us a voice message over on the Anchor app. We'd love to hear what you think of the message as well. You can find that in the link in the description.